Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, this is a passage known to countless persons in modern Western culture. Whether religious or not, Christian or not, many in the modern West, I would say, recognize or maybe could even recite some of these words back to you. They're often invoked in a kind of flowery, sentimentalized, romantic way at weddings. A full disclosure, yesterday I officiated at a wedding and I preached from these words. <laughs> but is this the way that we're supposed to interpret this passage? Is the Apostle Paul simply waxing eloquent, kind of raising to this Shakespearean level of diction? Is, is he simply poeticizing about this beautiful virtue that we know as love? Remember, last week especially, we started talking about 1 Corinthians. Remember that 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul's written response, his written response to a litany of questions about concrete issues facing the Corinthian church. So throughout this letter, if you read it cover to cover, you'll see this phrase, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. And so he addresses a number of topics like marriage, diet, public lawsuits, the resurrection, and he uses the phrase now concerning to signal that he's responding to a particular issue. Well, we have a now concerning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 1, we read now concerning spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, this three-chapter chunk, is Paul's response to the Corinthians' questions about spiritual gifts, about the mechanics, the motivation, the logistics of communal worship. This is Paul's response to a very particular situation, one with which I think we can all relate today. Now, to kind of reconstruct the situation for you as best as I can, uh, it seems that the Corinthians, especially those with certain gifts, certain very palpable, visible, miraculous gifts, it seems that they thought that the power of the church, the influence, the meaning of the community of believers depended on these spiritual abilities. And so, as you'd expect, those in the community with the more visibly miraculous gifts were thought to be more significant in the community. And what emerged from this were a series of conflicts, divisions. There was contentiousness. There was rivalry running rampant in the Corinthian community. So it's into this situation that the Apostle Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And our chapter for this morning is smack dab in the middle of his response. Effectively, what the apostle tells the Corinthians, 
hear this, is that spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities, in and of themselves don't matter in the slightest. He says that the power, the influence, the the meaning, the heart of the church does not lie in its spiritual practices. No. What Paul says here, I think, should revolutionize how we think of church today. It, It should. It needs to. The power, the influence, the meaning of the church depends not on these spiritual abilities, but depends on its ability, the church's ability, to form us in love. Let me say that again. The power, the meaning, the influence of the church depends on its ability to form us in love. So this makes the church a veritable school, a school of love. That means is that if the church is not forming people into better lovers, it's not accomplishing its God-given purpose. So that is the main idea that I'd like to explore with you all this morning, that the church is or ought to be, ought to be a school of love. And now in our remaining time, I'd like to walk through chapter 13. The whole chapter, it's only 13 verses, but I want to walk through it with this idea in mind, to hopefully detach it from its hallmark, sentimentalized context. So in just a moment, we're going to do that, but would you now pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this remarkable passage of Holy Scripture. Even though it's being used in a variety of ways and handled in ways that are at times inappropriate, Lord, we are thankful that your scriptures have been made famous in some way. And we pray that this virtue of love would be situated, understood in its original context, a love that emerges from the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ. I do also want to take a moment to just bless Jeremiah and Aaron Gross, who were married yesterday, Lord, officially, and we just pray that you would bless them and that you would impel us to come alongside them and to help steward them and assist them as they enter this school of love called marriage, Lord. We love you and pray that you would sensitize us to your spirit, that you would transform us From the inside out, don't let us leave this place unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't already, uh, would you turn with me then to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV, and we have some pew Bibles for visitors. It can be found, I think, on page 959 of most of the pew Bibles, 959. It's not on that page, it's probably close by, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I will begin at verse 1, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The church is to be a place where true love is learned. The church is to be a place where true love is learned. We're going to explore this passage. It can be divided into three sections. We've got verses 1 through 3 in which Paul states kind of a proposition, verses 4 through 7, the most famous verses, get another proposition, and then verses 8 through 13, Paul's third proposition. So we're going to look at the passage and divide it into three sections, but I I need you, I I need you to remember as we study this main idea that the church is a school of love. Try Try to think about that as we study the text. So let's just dive in then, the first three verses. To be plain with you all, the point that Paul makes in these verses is one that I've already mentioned in the beginning, and that is that spiritual practices, the spiritual abilities on which many of the Corinthians are depending, spiritual practices in and of themselves are totally and completely meaningless, is the point that Paul makes. He notes six gifts in particular, and if you read chapter 12, the chapter before, you'll, you'll see this wide-ranging metaphor of the church as a human body, a human body composed of various members, various parts, each of which has its own function, and Paul is beginning to address this issue of disunity in worship in chapter 12. So, so chapter 12 has already mentioned a number of gifts. But among the gifts, there were some that were particularly flashy, you could say. And so Paul mentions some of those. He says the gift of tongues, this is ability to speak in other languages, human and angelic, divine languages. Not only this, but prophecy, the the charisma of a powerful teacher to say the right words at the right time, prophecy. And also understanding, the gift of knowledge, understanding mysteries, being able to discern these mysterious things that other people can't discern. These are 
These are pretty exciting gifts. Not only this, but the faith to move mountains, the, the compulsion to give away everything you've got, and this last one, the willingness to deliver up your body to be burned, martyrdom. Paul says that you could have any one of these gifts, but if you do not have love, love, it's meaningless. It gets nothing done. Futile. He says I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. An instrument that has its place, of course, but that doesn't contribute intelligible information. It doesn't immediately build up alone. He says he could have prophecy and understanding, but without love he would be nothing. Generosity, martyrdom by themselves without love I'd gain nothing. Nothing. Paul is very clear after this discussion about gifts in chapter 12 that gifts alone, without love, are meaningless. That is point number one. Now from that point, he moves to verses 4 through 7. These, like I said, are the most famous verses, I would argue, in our, in our text, but they need to be disentangled from, detached from, the kind of sentimentalizing interpretations that they've come to be associated with, okay? Now, we get the subject here, which is love, agape in Greek, the noun love, and then we get 15 predicates, all verbs in Greek. What's kind of misleading about the ESV is it suggests that the verb is is here, and then there are these adjectives, patient, kind, not envious, not arrogant, things like that. The, the idea from this translation is that love is a static virtue, and it just kind of looks like these things. It, it has a nature. But these are verbs in Greek. This means that love does things. It performs actions. So a way that we could translate this is love does patience, endurance. Love does kindness. Love does not do envy, it does not do boasting, it does not do arrogance or rudeness. It does not do irritability, the harboring of resentment, things like that, and the list could go on and on. One thing that's interesting to note here is, is that Paul is, again, he's, he's addressing a concrete church dealing with, with real issues, issues that have divided them. I think you can read from these ideals, patience, kindness, not envying or boasting, the converse, I think, was true in Corinth. Because some were depending on these spiritual gifts and it was creating rivalry and dissension and conflict, some people were being impatient and unkind. They were envying the gifts of other people. They were boasting about the gifts that they had. Some people were being arrogant about the gifts that they had. Some were being rude or dishonoring to other people. Others were insisting on their own way, their own interpretation of things. Others had a chip on their shoulder. They were easily provoked. It was a high-tension issue. Some harbored resentment because maybe they didn't have the special spiritual gifts. Others were rejoicing at wrongdoing. The word in Greek is injustice. Some were happy 
that others were being mistreated because of their lesser spiritual gifts. All of these actions, I think, are meant in a very subtle way to almost convict, to exhort, to expose in the Corinthian community the ways in which they were being unloving. This is a challenge. This is not hallmark poetry, guys. This is exhortation. Paul didn't think these words would be wall decor that you can find on Etsy, no. He was writing to a particular church that was struggling, all right? One last thing to note about these verses is that this agape love is not a love that ancient secular Greek writers really mention. If you were to search the vast databases of Greek literature, and we, I'm talking vast, we have this literature, you don't see this word often. This isn't the love that you see every day. It's not a love that originates from human beings. The word actually enters the Greek language in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And, and it's used to describe, hear this, it's used to describe the love of God. The love of Yahweh, the God of Israel, for his people. And from where we stand in history, the love of Jesus Christ. This is an unprecedented kind of love. And this is the love that Paul exhorts the Corinthians to value and to cultivate in their school or community at Corinth. So he said that spiritual practices by themselves are meaningless. Here he says that love is the most excellent way from the end of chapter 12. That love is not a static virtue that you just get upon conversion. Love is, is, is something that is learned through habitual, godlike actions for others in the community. We'll talk more about that in the end. So that's point number two. And lastly, we have the last section, verses 8 through 13. And here Paul makes the point similar to his first point, that spiritual gifts, especially the most exciting ones, spiritual gifts are provisional. They are provisional, whereas love is permanent. Permanent, okay? So he mentions three of the six gifts that he'd mentioned before. We see prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And some people take the beginning of verse 8 as kind of the end of verse 7, that's how I read it to begin the sermon. Love hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. That sounds nice. But grammatically in Greek, it begins the last section. So it says, love never ends. But as for prophecies, tongues, knowledge, these things will end. There's juxtaposition happening, contrast, okay? Paul is saying that these spiritual gifts, even coupled with love... They have some utility uh, in the time before Jesus returns and establishes his new kingdom. These gifts are used to, to accomplish our gospel mission. They are useful. But, but, verse 10, he says that when the perfect comes, when perfection arrives, when Jesus returns to establish fully his kingdom on earth, 
those gifts will no longer be useful. They are provisional. They're useful for a particular time and purpose. But what about love? He says, love never ends. It remains. Love, Paul says, is characteristic of the kingdom that Jesus will bring about. It's permanent. Love needs to be valued over these spiritual gifts because it's not just useful for a temporary period of time. It's actually a virtue that will characterize eternal life. It's permanent. It's permanent. Paul uses a few metaphors or analogies to get at this. He talks about growing up, the knowledge of your childhood compared with that of your adulthood, which I don't know, a lot of adults are still kind of just children, so I don't know if this really works, but he goes on then to talk about this mirror, seeing in a mirror dimly and then face to face, so you're, you're, you see what he's getting at, that there's a provision, provisional nature to these gifts compared with the permanent nature of love. This is all meant to contribute to his argument, which is to convince the Corinthians that love, love is the most excellent way, that love is at the heart of what the church is, that the church finds its meaning in its ability to form people in love, in love. Now, one of the most influential biblical scholars in my life. Uh, he's the reason I went to where I went for graduate school. He's the dean there, a man by the name of Richard Hayes. And he writes a commentary on 1 Corinthians. And at the end of his section on chapter 13, this is what he writes. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 ought to encourage us to step back from even our most cherished projects and ask, why am I doing this? If we cannot honestly say, I am doing this for love and in love, then the legitimacy of the whole enterprise must come under serious doubt. That's what he writes. What this means, friends, is that everything we do as a church must be in service of and in love. Whether it's worship, committee meetings, Sunday school, fellowship, business meetings, if it's not functioning to form us in love, it's not worth doing. It's not worth doing. Now, like I said, friends, this love was not just a common virtue among ancient Greeks. It didn't originate from human beings. The love that Paul speaks of here, the agape love of 1 Corinthians, is the love that God has for us. It's divine love. The church, then, if it's fulfilling its mission... If it's being useful in the economy of God, it's always to be schooling us in love. That's what it's meant to do. It's to be a place where we encounter, where we encounter the love of God in Christ, where we worship, yes. But it's also to be a place in which we imitate 
where we imitate the love of God that we see in Christ. We thus see this love, we, we behold it, we witness it, we worship it, we see it, but then we practice it. We practice it. We do things for others. Think about when you were learning to drive a car. Josh, you're doing that, right? Every single thing that goes in to driving a car is conscious, deliberate, has to be at the forefront of your mind, intentional. It's exhausting. But over time, hear this, hope, over time, it becomes automatic, second nature. But at first, it has to be deliberately practiced, cultivated into a part of who you are. And then you don't even think about it. Love is not something you just think your way into. Definitely not this agape love of God, no. Love is something that is imitated, that is practiced habitually. It's a virtue that is learned, that is cultivated over time. And friends, I don't think there's really any other place in the world besides perhaps the institution of marriage and friendship where love can be learned as well as it can be in the church. In the church. I, I said some words to the couple yesterday. I said that uh, you're, you're not perfect. I said that, but you're not marrying each other because you're already perfect. It's not that you found someone who's, who's arrived morally and is this exemplar of a human and you'll just stay there unchanged forever. No. In a marriage, you, you enter in, you commit to another person, you commit to helping them become the person God wants them to be. I think that's what we do in church. We don't come here because we're perfect. We're not. <laughs> we come here to form each other into the people God wants us to be. And that... <laughs> is so needed in our world today. The church, friends, is the place, perhaps the only place, where true divine love is learned. Is our church that kind of place right now? Do our ministries, our programs, our endeavors, do they contribute to that ideal? If not, we may just need to adjust, as the Corinthians clearly had to adjust years ago. And I think, friends, I think that they did. They did adjust and that they were blessed for it. Today, then, let us learn from the Corinthians by pursuing love the most excellent way. Let's pray. Lord God, <clears throat> help us to behold you, to encounter you, to be exposed to you, but not to leave it there. I pray, Lord, that we would put in the effort, the effort to be patient, to be kind, to not be self-seeking, not be rude, not be boastful, arrogant, etc., etc., 
We're going to be those things. We will. And Lord, I pray that the others in this community would be forgiving and gracious to us when we are those things. And that through this dance of forgiveness, of modeling the virtue of love, through this family-like atmosphere of moral formation, that we would become the people you want us to be. That we would look an awful lot like Jesus Christ. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He's not self-seeking. He does not dishonor others. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes. And Jesus, thank God that Jesus never fails. We love you, Lord. Be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.